Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paint, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints, and are available in pretty much every art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Trying to get a really dark surface for your painting? that is completely matte and has no reflective quality, try their black gesso. It's the most amazing, rich, deep black that you can get to start off a painting. They have a ton of other textured gels and pumice and different things that you could add to your paint to get of a different kind of texture. There's just so much to work with. Check out their stuff at goldenpaints.com. You can find out more information there. Roger White is a painter, writer, and editor based in Vermont. His work is represented by Rachel Uffner Gallery in New York, Grice Bench in Los Angeles, and Labor in Mexico City. His paintings have been featured in exhibitions at the American Academy of Arts and Letters in New York, the Suburban in Oak Park, Illinois, the Weatherspoon Art Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Ballroom Marfa in Marfa, Texas, amongst many others. He's the co-founder of the contemporary art journal and publishing imprint, Paper Monument, and is also the author of The Contemporaries, published by Bloomsbury in 2015. He received an MFA from Columbia University in 2000. I caught up with Roger online from his place in Vermont for a talk about temporality, remote society, everydayness, being in a receptive state, and much more. Here's our conversation. So I was, uh, you know, I was looking at your work recently, looking, just thinking about it today, and um, some of the like words that pop into my mind when I'm looking at it is kind of like serene or peaceful. There's a lot of kind of quiet. There's a quietness to it, which lines up perfectly with 2020. Exactly. Yeah, it's really um, on trend. I think. For yeah, it's you really. I mean, world. this is this is the moment for your work to just. Right. Uh, yeah, there was somebody, um, I, I can't remember who did it, but I saw on social media, somebody had made up a little onion-esque um, headline about the um, the um, oil painting market cratering because there would be a f- flood of still life paintings uh, you know, <laughs> right, right. After, after quarantine and it hit very, very close to home because um, there was a moment where it, se- it seemed like um, during the first kind of... Um, uh, stressed out and yet somehow giddy, um, freaked out phases of, of um, social isolation when um, there were people were you know, setting up home studios and trying to figure out what to do. And you did see sort of a, um, a moment of uh, depiction of the everyday pop, pop into Right, consciousness. yeah. Um, but that was back in uh, March, so it's like several lifetimes ago. Isn't that <laughs> crazy? What, what we went <laughs> through, yeah. It's crazy, right? The time stretch that's happened. Yeah, it's it's very um, it's very new. It's very new. I haven't experienced anything quite like this. Yeah, quite you know like the parallel to that phenomenon that you were talking about. I think is the people who are making sourdough bread. Yes. Or like you know yes. flour being unavailable because everyone's bought all the flour up. 
It's kind of I know, yeah. still lives and, and baking bread are kind of, I think the same lineage. I think so. I, I, um, I, you know, I, sometimes I do wonder, um, I, I think there's a, the sourdough phenomenon was, was so seemed to be about, um, you know, the ritual of it. I didn't, we didn't go bread because we were not ambitious enough, but, um, there was something about the, the management of that or the, yeah. the um, predictable results of making sourdough, even though I, I, I understand that it's a bit chancy and can go wrong, but if it goes wrong, it doesn't go terribly wrong. Yeah. Um, and I definitely realized that painting in, in times of great stress sort of, there's definitely that, that element yeah. of, you know, you can, you can go in and, um, the stakes are sort of low for, for, for screwing something up and, and yet um, achieving it gives you a measure of control, especially when things are totally um, bananas right. um, in the world. Um, yeah. So I, I think they, they are calm. Um, I don't feel always calm while making them. I sometimes feel pretty stressed <laughs> out trying right. to, trying to get it to work out. But um, yeah, I, I would, I would, um, I would accept that adjective. Yeah, it's it's funny because I I mean that's a kind of work and aesthetic that resonates and that I'm you know I'm interested in and mm-hmm. um, I think inevitably in times like this I I feel there's an inclination for people to to prioritize importance and meaning and and creativity right so mm-hmm. like well how could you just paint like a a still life at this moment when things are so Rot, you know, like there's so much tension, right. and you know we need creativity to be an agent for change and all that. And I'm kind of like a dualist. Like I'm making up that word. Like you know, there's like a duality in everything. I think you know, and there's the stuff that's got to hit, you know, the nail right on the head, and then there's also the things that are kind of the escape from that, or the, you know, it's kind of like thinking of the other side of the coin. You know, I'm really interested in beauty and 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 I love that Agnes Martin idea of like everything's about beauty. Either it's about it's beautiful or the lack of beauty in the world. That kind of, you know, duality. And I, I think it's important and I always feel a little uncomfortable when I when people will say, you know, well work like this isn't really relevant right now or you shouldn't be doing this kind of work or that kind of work. I don't know. Have you thought of that at all? In- um, oh yeah, a- absolutely. Um, I, th- I think that in it's a sort of a microcosm of the question that I think all artists probably face that um, even even artists that are visual artists that are um, very engaged, very directly engaged um, with um, the times that they're um, working in. Although I, I do think my work is directly engaged with the time that I'm, I'm working in and, and if in a somewhat oblique way. Um, and the question is, well, you know, why am I not out doing something which is um, sort of, you know, more direct or, or, or communicates very broadly, um, you know, the, the avenues through which art travels or, or is seen or are or, or sort of relatively small um, compared to other platforms that people might have. And um, I think you do find yourself sort of chasing your tail or, or, or wondering, um, you know, whether exactly whether you should be sort of um, speaking more directly. But I, I found that well, what I would say about it is um, 
you know, we're going to have to sort of like edit these long pauses probably oh, that's slightly out as I go. Um, what did I say? I, I, I do think that um, there isn't a, one particular way of doing art, which is the right way in, in, in a situation of, um, extraordinary challenges, which this is a, we're in a situation where um, the stressors and um, challenges that we're facing um, are are tremendous and require um, require us to act, um, you know, very forthrightly and and strongly, um, because I think that art is really art is a resource that we can draw on to to um, act in that way or to decide how to act. Um, art itself isn't, doesn't act, you know, we're, we're the people that do it. And, and there is this very strange way we, we talk about art as having a, um, either an active role or, you know, art that questions and interrogates or art that um, uh, blurs boundaries. There's this sort of shorthand that, that we, we ascribe figurative um, agency to the work of art itself, you know, without... And we don't, of course, believe that. You know, we don't. We don't really believe that a painting um, questions something. But, but sometimes I think those ways of speaking do lead us into a, a strange kind of pseudo problem about art. Yeah. It's like, well, why is it? Um, my art needs to act more. It's like, no, you, you need to act more. Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah. and you and you can draw on um, the resource that that um, works of art, the resources that works of art constitute to to um, go into the world and be a better person, a stronger person, a, a sort of a braver person. And, and there's so many different ways that that can happen through art, through engagements with art. Um, I think that, you know, I was thinking about with the, um, the toppling of Confederate statues last, last week and, and um, you, you know, and, and thinking about how many people that would be critical of that and just see it as destruction but I don't know. There, there's ways of thinking about, I, I don't know, having an engagement with the art where it would, might lead you to understand that gesture in a more open-ended way as, as something which is constructive, you know, as yeah. itself, a kind of a, an intervention. Um, not that you have to have studied institutional critique to get what's going on with that. But, yeah. for example, that's um, one way that an engagement with art can be really useful, even if it's engagement with... Um, sort of very abstract art in yeah, a sense. Definitely. Yeah, that um well between, you know, talking recently um with someone about the the sculptures that have been defaced in protests and the meaning of that mixed with like, you know, those statues coming down which are technically mm-hmm. artwork, right? Right. But I don't know, it's it's really hard to to see the the value in something that's, you know, holding up these these figures who held, you know, really bad sort of ideals and actions in their past. It's it's so it's such a complicated thing, you know, and thinking about how artwork and these ideas kind of mingle. I guess that's pretty it's a pretty heavy way to start <laughs> start off the conversation. Yeah, I know. It's we just went, it's we so heavy in the mind it. though, you know what I mean? I feel yeah. like it's 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 been you know, a lot. At, and actually, I think that's one of the most um, kind of powerful and stressful and, and, 
you know, difficult challenges of this whole quarantine and is just how severe the, the abrupt, like you're by yourself for months and then all this influx of information and, you know, on all these events that you just died. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm not particularly tethered to my phone, but I mean, I'm just seeing this stuff nonstop, you know what I mean? And, and I don't want to ignore it, but at the same time, it's, it's almost like it's a really heavy cocktail of, of just like negativity and, and like media saturation all at once. It's, it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, it's, um, I think I've been really fascinated with the idea that art could be somehow about, you know, precisely what you're talking about, precisely the way that you're on the one hand, you're in your, you're in your own body in your house <laughs> and lately you're stuck in your house and um, or you we were up to very recently but at the same time you're you're mentally all over and you're you're sort of out into the world and, and we were constantly or I'm constantly um, trying to um, calibrate those experiences you know and and often it's a um, an experience of um, um, this spring, earlier this spring, it was an experience of uh, immobility and um, restlessness at, at the same time. Um, uh, for me personally, fortunately, it was it was um, an experience of safety. I, I wasn't sick. You know, my family didn't get sick, but but intense concern and um, um, you know worry. Um, for uh, for people that were not you know in my house, <laughs> yeah. like everyone yeah. else that I wasn't seeing them, and um, there's something somehow I think art can kind of express that or be about that you know maybe because it's um, well in my case in making paintings it's something very physical and immediate and it's about um, the paintings are about things that I'm seeing you, you know firsthand so to speak. Um, and yet they go out and they're, and they're sort of um, distributed um, this year, you, you know, in, in the same channels through which we receive our news about the world. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm only seeing, um, no one is seeing works of art live right now. It's all, it's all coming, right. you know, in the same little magical rectangle that um, <laughs> gives us the, the news of the world every day. Yeah, yeah that is, a, it, I mean, it's a shift. Well, where are you now? Are you, it looks like you might be in your studio. Where are you now? I'm in Vermont. I, uh, my wife and daughter and I live in Middlebury, Vermont. Mm -hmm. um, most often she teaches at Middlebury College. Um, and we were in New York and in, in a very, very small apartment. And um, when school was canceled, we, we decided to come back up here. Our, our house renters had had left, so we were very fortunate to um, come back up and, and um, our daughter could, you know, go outside um, yeah. uh, a little bit. So I felt very, very grateful. Um, yeah, and I, had a, I have a um, little room that I use for a studio up here. Um, so I was able to do a tiny bit of work around the homeschooling. Oh, yeah, that whole process. But did, were you doing stuff like, uh, was the schooling being done online or was it all you guys? It was it was online. She's in um, first grade at, at, in public school in New York public school um, this year. So we would have a list of uh, a list of assignments every morning to yeah. to tick off, but but um, very little um, face to face. 
So yeah, that was a, another steep learning curve right. for, for everybody who, who has kids. Yeah. Well, just, and, and you know, I teach and just that shift in the semester, it was like spring break happened. And then right after spring break, it was like, okay, online learning, make it happen. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> You're now a digital artist. Congratulations. <laughs> a crash course and <laughs> in, in teaching everything over Zoom, which, you know. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but I don't know. It's a I, tough. It's a tough medium, I think. To it teach is. In. It, but did, did you find it? Yeah, I mean, I had you know, I was teaching a seminar course and an advanced painting, so I think it lended lent itself a little easier than something like beginning painting or you know something that's a little more introduction, where it's it's more yeah. in the classroom. So we, you know, I had visiting art, quote unquote, visiting artists, you know, coming in through Zoom and and just you know, readings and discussions and that stuff can happen remotely. You know, I felt like I was yeah. able to, to do okay with that. So I, I felt, I was, you know, very concerned about, you know, making sure that the students are getting the best possible, you know, experience and education they could. So I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, make sure that I'm doing a good job with it, but I felt like it, it went okay as good as it can, you know, without yeah. being in person. Right. But, yeah. That's great. Um, that's great. I, I had, I think I had more trouble. I didn't do as good a job as I think I ought to have, but um, I certain, certainly tried. It, it was um, amazing to. Well, I had a, I had a group of uh, senior undergraduate art majors who had, were just sort of getting rolling on their thesis projects, and some of them had, some of them had very ambitious sculptural installations planned and, and they found themselves, you know, back at back home with, with no space to work, with no materials. They kind of got out with the you know, with the shirt on their back and none of their art supplies. So it became about um, you know, how do you use those how do you accept those constraints that, yeah. that you're under? And um, we talked a lot about you know, moments in art where um artists by necessity or choice, you know, really sort of, um, uh, you know, abandoned the studio or got out of the studio. Um, we talked a lot about, um, like in the late 60s in New York, where um, when conceptual art happened and, and how much of that um, abandonment of the studio had to do with the sense that institutions were... Um, in crisis, yeah. you know, um, think about like Adrian Piper um, deciding to make work on the streets of New York and, and um, not uh, work in the gallery system and go and ride the city bus and do these direct interventions was, I think, very much about um, the feeling that cities were very unstable then. Yeah. You know, that historical moment. It's funny because when I think back to being, especially an undergraduate student, like getting my start in in finding art and like making it, I think most of the really important things that I've learned in that um, environment was when I was pushed outside of my comfort zone. Like if I took an installation art class for the first time or was working with ceramics and didn't have that experience, like, you know, forcing yourself out of your comfort zone and using different materials and all that, you can really learn a lot, I think. So, you know, being back in your parents house or your you know apartment at school with no access to like all your materials is like okay well what can you make happen with a pencil and a piece of paper or you know with your iphone you know i had to making videos and and video art and you know showing them officially in vice and like gabriel rusco doesn't have a studio you know like all this stuff you know like you can make things 
in difficult circumstances and it's really about creativity and trying to rise to that challenge easier said than done not comfortable but <laughs> sometimes you need that you know yeah for sure i there was a moment there were moments where i felt like i was a bit pollyanna about the situation <laughs> i was forced to be i was trying to be very enthusiastic and keep the energy up and right. keep the momentum going and and I kept saying, like, is, this is great. You know, this is really wonderful. You're, you're, you're a post-studio artist. And, and they were not having it. Post-studio they, were, they, they were, they were um, kind of in shock to be, you know, in their, in their parents' basement, yeah. <laughs> like having a Zoom class and, you know, ejected from their, um, their grown-up lives uh, right. temporarily. Um, but, yeah, but I, yeah, I, feel, I feel like students who are, let's say, juniors and undergraduate should not be so tied to their process at that point that they can't like you know take a left turn or or work in a, a different right. way. I think that's important. I think maybe if you've been working for you know twenty or not that it's okay, but if you've been working for twenty or thirty right. years and you've got your thing, you know what I mean. It might be harder yeah. to break out of that. But no, a good I, challenge. I, I totally agree. And that was the second time in this conversation I thought of the orchestra on the Titanic, of like you, be, <laughs> like being exactly that. that like, you know, the cheerleader of like, this isn't so bad, you know what I mean? I know. And then at the same time, I kind of feel like artwork and making art is kind of like that orchestra on the Titanic, because really it's, it's, it's a very important thing in a way, but it's not important at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one really needs art necessarily to survive, but it's something that really makes us who we are and, and what separates humans from a lot of other creatures is that we are creative and we like to make things and you know and that's there's something really sad about that orchestra playing as that ship is going down and there's something mm -hmm. really beautiful at the same time about it you know of like enriching everyone's experience of like you know before they hit this ice cold water <laughs> yeah that's that dark? that's darker than that's that's pretty dark i i get pretty dark but that's uh <laughs> that's um that's up there. Yeah, it, it is. I, I mean, I think that um, I, I certainly, I think this is, a, this is the feeling that artists have in, in, in moments of crisis, um, that um, they're, they're not, we're, we're not essential workers at all by any stretch of the imagination. And um, I think there were, um, in the 20th century, a lot of... Uh, public relations trying to convince the public that, that artists were those essential workers. There, were, there was a heroic aspect to right. the struggle um, uh, of art making. Um, but you're right that it is certainly life enhancing um, and is certainly related to coping, I think. Um, and expression and grief and anger and all those things that we again that we we need to to be sort of full people out in the world um i i do think that I mean, one of the questions that i ask myself is given that i'm attached to being an artist well, well what kind of art really is worth making in in a moment where it's um you know, things are not looking so good um, in a, you know, sort of um, global sense. And, um, and what, what account of art could you, could you give um, in which, you know, art would not be a heroic enterprise, but would be a, a, a positive one. 
Yeah, I think that question is, you know, to ask of yourself in the present moment is always tricky and it's hard to see the uh, forest from the trees. But I think if you look back in history, there have been plenty of times in this in the world that things that were way darker than they are now. You know what I mean? What and mm-hmm. amazing artwork has been made, and and that's really a huge part of what's seen and remembered and thought of in that time. You know, and I think that it's not always the most political or the most you know um, representational or heavy. You know, I think it's just it's it's a really. I mean, that Titanic thing came off as dark, but I think to be totally honest, I think it's really kind of an optimistic, beautiful thing because it means. You know, just because something isn't necessarily needed per se for survival, it's it's critical for our sort of um, engagement with each other and in, in the world, and, and sort of writing some kind of um, statement to what what the, what our existence is in a way. Which you know, you have to be in a privileged moment to kind of reflect that way. You know, because cavemen were just worrying about eating and surviving. You know that so, but. You know, they were drawn on cave walls. Yeah, you know, they had some downtime. They had some downtime to <laughs> yes, do that. Yes, no internet back then. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It was empty hours after, after the uh, quest for survival. <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, it's also, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, 2020 is, is um, in many ways awful and in other ways very hopeful. Um, I think the, um, the hope that we can get out, get out of this, um, uh, that, that, um, and there's so much energy right now um, that um, I, I think everyone is hoping turns into um, change and turns into a, a way out of this, um, you know, dreadful political situation that we're in in this country. But well, okay. One last thing about 2020, and then we'll talk yeah. about like 1976 okay. <laughs> or so. So, I I figured out what 2020 is. My um, something got spilled on the on our rug in the living room a few weeks actually mm-hmm. pretty early into the quarantine yeah. and um it was just not i mean this was not salvageable you know it destroyed the thing and that carpet mm-hmm. has been there for you know a year and a half or two years probably and we pulled that thing up and man the dust and funk you know <laughs> like yeah. i feel yeah. like sometimes when you you know turn the lights on or you you move something like that you unearth a lot of like you know crap that you've been ignoring or that has been difficult to deal with you know and and this expression of sweeping it under the rug for a reason and i think you know in a sense it's really good now we've got that rug gone and we're cleaning every day and we're facing all that dust and funk and and i think that's kind of what's going on now is you know videos and and you know the ability for people to share information it's harder for people to ignore or sweep things under the rug that really should never be swept under the rug. And hopefully I'm optimistic that that kind of like, you know, bearing the light on those things will help clear that out. And, you know, hopefully people will have a, a better kind of, you know, attitude and, and way of treating each other. I mean, that's idealistic, but that's my hope. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it is, but that's certainly the hope because you know what else? <laughs> if we don't, I, we're 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 truly uh, sunk, to extend the Titanic metaphor. <laughs> yeah, no, there's something about. Um, I, I do think that, you know, I've managed to um, do things slightly different by again by being forced to uh, immobilize. Um, you know, my schedule is 
open for, <laughs> for the remainder of eternity at this point, <laughs> professionally and, and uh, uh, sorts of things. And that, and that has led to uh, a different kind of attention. Um, and I think that we're seeing the results of that um, in, in um, the, um, the way the, the protests have, have, have unfolded. That, yeah. um, people are, are thinking maybe uh, more clearly about things because because they're not um, out um, at the barbecue or whatever. I don't know. Right. Well, November will say a lot, I guess. Yeah, sure will. So uh, how was growing up? Were you always a kid making art? Or were you a kid on the baseball field? Or were you a kid listening to oh, music? Oh, I, um, I was always making art. Um, I wanted to be a comic book artist for a long time. Ah, what, no, were, that, what, that was my... what were you into growing up? I was X Men, and it was mainly X Men was the big, the big one. Uh, Superman was a little too straight down the middle, Mainstream, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I identified with with that, um, and I think that desire to make comic books was sublimated into a sort of a, the more proper desire to be a contemporary artist when I hit college. That was yeah. um, more respectable for for uh, where I went to school. Um, yeah, my grandmother um, was a quilter and uh, uh, had studied uh, painting at Chouinard Institute, actually. She was, um, she was the sort of pre-CalArts school in Southern California, um, and she gave me an oil painting lesson when I was really young. Um, That's cool. And, and you grew up on the West Coast, right? I grew up in yeah, I grew up in California, in Salinas, California. And where's I didn't. Where's that? Cause I'm not a you know my geography oh, yeah. of California limited. <laughs> it's um, about two hours south of San Francisco. Okay. Sort of in about twenty or thirty minutes inland near Monterey and Carmel would be the um, areas. A very agricultural. My my uh, father and grandfather were lettuce farmers. Um, so, yeah, very interested in drawing and painting, no access to culture. That was sort of an interesting uh, thing. Uh, but, I, but I knew I wanted to do it, and I certainly didn't want to play sports because I was terrible at all, all sporting events. Um, class, classic candidate for being an artist. <laughs> I think I was attracted to art because, um, yeah, my... I don't know, my parents didn't have a real perspective on it, and I could make it up as I went along without yeah. um, judgment because they didn't didn't know about it, weren't weren't that interested. Um, it was a sort of a it was very. I can't imagine sort of what what I find interesting is is um, artists who are the children of artists because for me it was very much to to not be a lettuce farmer. You know? right. And so it's like, like, well, how didn't, didn't you, couldn't you rebel if your dad is a painter? You should have been a whatever. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel that way too. Uh, supposedly from the, from the people that I know whose kids are artists as well, they do go through a heavy phase of like, I will never be an artist or do anything like that. But then really? they, yeah. it comes around and at a certain point they... They're like, yeah, I guess this is in my genes or something. This is it, the family trait. I, I, I was also very jealous because it seemed like, um, you know, you, you would see it as a, as a mm-hmm. kind of a concrete possibility yeah. for, to have right. your life in the arts. Um, 
and and you know I was always very hesitant. I was like, is this really a thing that you can do? What what, what is what does it mean? Whereas um, you know it, it it must be nice to sort of see it as just you know uh, something that one one could choose to engage with for life. Right. When you're growing up, I will say that a lot of people that I talk to have had someone in their life who, you know, had done it maybe tangentially, not like an immediate family member, but they get this sense. And then there's, you know, there's quite a few too just are in school and they're like, wait, this is a major. Like I can do right, this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Whereas I, I don't know what, how it was for you, but when I was an undergrad, when I was in school, I didn't, it wasn't that I thought that I could actually do it. I just got enamored with it. And then there was a major and I was like, Oh, okay, well that's, that's enough. I can major in it. Yeah. And then I didn't think about the next step till probably my next to last semester where I was like, okay, what, what do I do? You know? And then the, the yeah. people started saying grad school, that's like something you could do. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess that's what I was like. There wasn't the kind of information yeah. you have now where you could, there's roadmaps for things. It was just kind of like you would have a teacher and say, well, you should apply to this place, this place and that place. And that's just what you did. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. It was so word of mouth. Um, yeah, it must, it must be very different now. Um, than it, than it was then in terms of the information and and but it also felt it felt so obligatory you know and it was like yeah you you had to go to grad school and I think we probably are, are you know we're experiencing this at the same time where it was that was absolutely it um, unless you were uh, more plugged in than I was you know right, I couldn't right. imagine just kind of going to New York and and um, hanging out and and getting anywhere with it but um, grad school was a um, sort of an organized way to uh, enter the profession. I, I wonder if it f- still feels that way, the, the sense of obligation. No, I think there's many, many more students. Well, the the reality of the situation financially too, I think, has hit kids with, with with information, technology, and knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. you find out quickly there's a gigantic, and plus the price tag these days is so much higher. Yeah, it's very different. That and the parents are more savvy. I think just because, you know, you can Google stuff and they're like, wait a minute, this is this much, you know? So I think there's a little more hesitation to, to climb into that, you know, hole of debt where we were just like, yeah, let's <laughs> just, what else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not, you know, there wasn't that many options. It was like, all right, I guess I'll do that next. And then, uh, you know, after school it's like, I guess I'll move to New York. I mean, that seems like I know. the next logical yeah. step, you know, what else are you going to do? Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's so so strange. Um, we had so little, we had what did we do before before googling things? I couldn't have couldn't have googled anything back then. Yeah, it's weird, right? And we actually lived through that yeah. transition. I mean, there's a lot of people yeah. who were like our parents who were just, I mean, barely catching on to it recently, and or you know, like younger kids who had it their whole life. So it's it's kind of funny to be in that in between zone. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's another time stretch. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it's it's very different. I think, yeah, I remember, what do I remember about being a student? Um, very, very little. Um, this, <laughs> um, it's funny how, that, I, I think it's, um, it comes down to, um, I, I teach um, at RISD a little bit, and I work with the painting graduate students there, and they're very, um, the experience is a lot more structured than I remember grad school yeah. being. I don't remember, really remember doing classes or I think I, I TA'd a little bit. 
Um, and we had a seminar, but, but it was much more just sort of being in the studio and somebody would come and talk to you a little bit and then you'd be back in the studio. And, and, and there's probably five or six things that people said during the two years I was in grad school, which were um, of profound importance for me, but they were often kind of tossed off asides yeah. that, that um, happened and, and they sort of hit the right way and it sets you um, kind of on a weird trajectory for the rest of your life. And, and I'm sure that's still sort of the core of art education, um, but it does seem like there's at least a desire to make it a little more rigorous than that. Right. right. Not that that wasn't sort of, um, I think, highly rigorous in its own uh, strange, you know, kind of chaotic post-slacker way. Well, I think, um, you know, most of us, I, I mean, this is a sweeping generalization. I have no sort of information to back up the statement. <laughs> um, most of us who teach have that core feeling like in our teaching that you're going to learn through the act of making and it's going to be this tangential sort of stuff that you pick up that's really hard to put in a syllabus. And, yeah. you know, but now we have to be so accountable for everything that you try to map everything out, you know, in, in right. the organization of it. But you know deep down those who go on and like, you know, devote their life to making this stuff, a lot of the core things that they learn and the experiences that they have that are going to be meaningful are not just, you know, the, the stuff you're saying necessarily, you know, for the three hours in class. It's going to be, you know, with their fellow students. It's going to be when you're doing a studio visit, like, you know, after class or something. Or, and that's just kind of how you learn in a way, I think. Yeah, I, I think you, you have to. Um, it's... It happens 24 hours <laughs> you know, every day. I, I was thinking about just earlier I, I, um, in New York, I, I had a studio up in the Bronx and I could, you know, I would go very nine to five when I could and, and come home in the evening and that was sort of it. Um, and I, I can't work very well at night. I'm a, I, I get very anxious and there's also something about the... Um, I can't adjust to the difference in ambient light oh, from yeah. looking at the paintings in yeah, the day yeah. and looking at night. So I, it's, I would have to have a painting which only happened at night. But um, but tonight I cleaned my brushes <laughs> after <laughs> after my daughter went to bed and um, and I looked at the I stared at the paintings more than I could um, in New York because I, I would have to get back on the subway, um, go up there just to stare at the painting for for twenty minutes. Wow. Um, and that sort of immersion, I, I think, has something to do with how one learns art. Yeah. You know, that it's, um, I remember I had um, a professor named Robert Reed um, at Yale who taught drawing and painting. And um, I remember I was, you know, in one of the first weeks of painting class, I was, I was gessoing some canvases. And I was kind of taking, I was taking a long time with it and being kind of, fussing and, and um, I think somebody in my class had made a crack about how slow I was going and <laughs> Robert Reed said you know what I like about this Roger is that you're realizing that you know painting begins at the the very you know it's from the very moment you start thinking about the painting that's part of the painting and and um, I felt very proud even though he was kind of just standing up for me when I was getting picked on um but but all those sort of things and, and that sort of experience of that full experience of um, being in school and being together 
and um, all the downtime is exactly why 2020 is such a catastrophe for art education in, yeah. in Zoom. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's that, true. So, right? You know, it's, it's, um, there isn't that, uh, the fullness of that experience. Yeah, the irony of a, a career, career, a passion, a way of working that is usually so predicated on you being alone in a white cube you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, but the mm-hmm. essential learning of it is being around so many other people in such a social environment, sort of feeding off each other's energy. And you know what I mean? It's kind of like, and there's always that, um, you know, adage of like, when you get out of school, it's that harsh, like you're around all these people crits all the time. Then all of a sudden it's like radio silence and you got to just make this stuff by yourself as being a really difficult transition, which it is. But yeah. it's funny. That's really true about like learning. You do so much learning, you know, I I did a lot of learning when it was 2 a.m. and I'm hanging out with, you know, and people dropping by my studio, you know, and, and we're talking about work then, you know, and not necessarily always in class. It's funny, Robert gave me, I've mentioned this, you know, in the past, he gave me, I think, one of the very few actual literal teaching me painting, like, ideas. Really? Yeah, in, in my studio. Yeah. It's like, one time he came in, he's like, you know, if you don't want these edges to look so crappy, you could just matte medium over the tape before you put the paint down. Uh, and I was like, holy shit, it's been brilliant years <laughs> of me painting this, like a couple of years painting with tape, and I had no idea. No one ever taught me wow. anything like that. You know what I mean? And I, I think in my six years of school, there was so, so few moments where someone actually just said, you know, you could do this. And that will do yeah. this in your work. And he was definitely one of those people who did that. Yeah, no, it's it's nice when someone does that, and it's so. Um, that's why. Why is that, Brian? Why why was that the case when we were um, in school? And is it still the case? That, I, I um, would gather back. On, I would gather back then. It was more about um, wanting to cut more towards, um, you know, the conceptual. Or, or mm-hmm. the ideas of things and not really solely the formal approach. Or maybe it was the, the professors at that time were just a little less interested in talking about like nitty gritty of, you know, how you're making it more about like what it is and what it means, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's puzzling. And I certainly, I, I could have shaved 20 years of error off of my art career <laughs> if people had told me certain things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it did seem to be about a kind of some kind of difference between being in academia mm-hmm. and being in a professional school. Right. You know, as soon so as soon as you talk about varnish, you're in danger of slipping. Art is in danger of slipping back into vocational training. Yeah. Um, but as long as you don't um, tell anybody what staples to use, you can. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> maintain the uh, sanctity of art as a as a discipline um yeah and but also sort of a real maybe there was a kind of um sense that if we learned those things on our own we would have to find creative solutions to them i don't know yeah i don't know the easier one for me to figure out is that i never learned anything in the entire time i was in art school about a career in art 
like learning about right. galleries or business or financial things, any side of the professional side of being an artist, which is funny because a master's degree is a professional degree, right? You're supposed to be learning yeah. some sort of applicable, you know, uh, things about how to, to make a living or, you know, to engage in the professional world of it. And, uh, you know, th- that was always this, you know, we're not going to taint your education with, you know, the nuts and bolts of the art world. You know, we're just going right. to teach you how to make art that's that matters or that's, you know, important. Or I don't know what, you know, it, it just, I was always like years and years after school perplexed that not all the stuff that I had to learn, whether it was dealing with galleries or art handlers or, you know, mm-hmm. contracts or lack of contracts or sale, any of that stuff was on the job training. And you go yeah. in so green. And if you're dealing with anyone who's, you know, not a saint, and let's be honest, there's a lot of people in the art world <laughs> mm-hmm. who, you know, are not dealing that way. I mean, you you're, you get screwed on a lot of things, or you, you just have to learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's very true. Maybe it's because those details are so kind of embarrassing and demoralizing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meaning of, you know, you you... you it takes a long time to get paid and most paintings are sold to interior decorators and um, all the sort of conceptual trappings yeah. that, that um, you're, you're dealing with in school don't always translate um, to, to the market. It, it, was, it, was, it was very strange. And I think that um, art educators have, have rightly uh, adjusted that, um, or, you know, sort of corrected for that, um, that lack yeah, it took me a long yeah. time to realize that uh, Mel Bachner summed it up in three words on my last critique when he said, it ain't easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mel, I, I makes know, sense. <laughs> of course, it takes, takes a while to, to realize that. <laughs> I remember there was the one that did it for me was um, like Nan Golden came and gave a lecture um, when I was an undergrad and about being an artist, and, and she said, um, you know, and, and people were falling over at her feet because she yeah. was a legend and, and and rightly so. And she said, well, if you want to be an artist, you you should get ready for 30 or 40 years of um, total financial, moral, spiritual, mental uncertainty and, and it never getting any better. Um, and that was kind of bracing <laughs> coming from a, a living legend. Yeah, the, the visiting but, critics are great because they just come in and burn the place down. They, they're like, screw it, I don't have to deal yeah. with this fire. I'm just going to come in and destroy exactly. people and like drop drop the most depressing real knowledge on everyone. <laughs> they just leave with right. their paycheck. They're like, yep, I'm yeah. out. <laughs> Hop back on the train. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just telling them everything. It's like coming in and being like, yeah, you know what, kids? Santa doesn't exist. See you later. I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But it is, yeah. that's important to, to hear that stuff, you know? It, it sure is. Um, it sure is, and you're, and you're right that, um, but it's also probably true that um, there's no amount of telling someone that that will prepare them for the first-hand experience of um, screwing up right. uh, professionally and, yeah. and learning from that. Yeah, a little primer. Whatnot. I mean, I developed a course. Yeah. It was like a special topics one semester course about kind of like how you can, when you get out of school, try to, you know, make creativity work for you in different aspects of finding a job and different things, you know. And I felt right. like, you know, that's not the only thing I teach when I'm teaching, but at least hopefully I gave some students some information that could help them, you know, moving forward in their 
creative life in some way or another. You know, it doesn't have to be the Absolutely. entire curriculum, but like one right. class won't kill it. <laughs> I know exactly. Um, I think the other reason that it was it was sort of um, uh, breezed over was was the intensely uh, clubby nature yeah. of getting into the art world. That hopefully is something that has also gotten a little bit better, and, and a lot of people are trying to make it better. That it was. Um, there didn't need to be a class there because um, if you were doing something, somebody would take you aside and introduce you quietly to right. a person that was, um, you know, going to help you. Um, and, and it's just enormously unfair, you know, and enormously um, classist and, and racist and, and elitist um, in all sorts of ways. And, and um, you know, to sort of, sort of spell that out would have been, um, Rick would have... I don't know. There would have been a loss of prestige to, to sort of that's say that. That's completely, yeah. that's a great point. I mean, imagine the acting world in Hollywood. Right, yeah. Of like yeah, exposing, I, I mean, exactly. with Me Too and all that got exposed. I mean, imagine that you're not teaching that in schools. All right, you're going to go meet no. this director. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, hopefully, it's, again, that's the that's lifting the carpet up, you know what I mean? And like exposing right. some light in those dark corners. Hopefully. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah. but did you, I mean, what, in going through college and grad school, I mean, you thought to yourself, you always knew you wanted to do this sort of, you know, moving forward and you would just... Yeah, I didn't know what it was, though. That was the really interesting thing about it. Um, I, it went from, you know, I comic books and, then, you know, and that, you know, that seemed a little juvenile um, at a certain point. So maybe I'll be a painter. A painter, that's the next best, most interesting thing. But I didn't have a sense of what that meant. Um, in any real sense, I hadn't seen a painting made after, uh, you know, Richard Diebenkor in my I think I went up to the SF MoMA in high school and I saw some Diebenkor paintings and thought that was contemporary art. I had no idea, um, but but it um, it was exciting to learn about it. Um, I yeah, I was an art major. I mean, I knew I was going to be an art major um, going to college, um, but I I amazingly sort of persisted in it with a total absence of, you know, concrete information about um, being an artist in the present, in the, whatever, the late 90s, as it yeah, were. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I went to Columbia for graduate school, I think a year after um, undergrad. I, I, I graduated from college, um, moved back home, thought I could save money, live with my parents, um, make a portfolio for um, grad school and, and go in a couple years, two or three years. I was so depressed <laughs> and uh, you know bored that I rushed right back to school uh, as as fast as humanly possible um, to save myself from from total uh, existential dread. Um, and I was so green in in graduate school. Still, you know, I just I was. I was so naive and um, optimistic and still didn't really have a sense of like what art was necessarily about. Um, And it was in New York, which was very exciting, very very good for me. And and Columbia at the time was um, just sort of, uh, you know, on the upslope to being the powerhouse it it briefly was for... uh, Oh, is that uh, that retired, that... (laughs) No, I don't know. I think it's it's. I mean, it's a great program, and it continues to be. It was. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about the the moment in the early two thousands. Oh when, yeah. Um, all 
MFA schools were were um, you know doing so well at sort of um, placing artists in yeah. in in the art world. Um, so we were kind of it was ramping up to that, um, and yeah, I, I think the other interesting thing about like being in school at that time was I felt like we caught the tail end of the very heavy theorizing of the 90s and the beginning of a sort of um, uh, loosening up, especially around painting. Yeah. You know, so a lot of my studio visits in grad school, um, the first question was something like, why are you still painting? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a really um, challenging way to begin a conversation, <laughs> you know, because you you have to sort of start from first principles. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't know what my first principles were at, the, at that point. I, I was like, I don't know, I, I, I like painting, I, maybe. And, um, but you really had to sort of defend it in historical terms yeah. um, from, from a charge of obsolescence or um, uh, being politically reactionary or just passé or um, actively harmful. Um, and I think that that sort of sense went away shortly after, you yeah. know, or briefly from academia. I don't get the sense that um, being a painter was as as fraught a decision, you know, shortly after I left the school. It was much more something that one could do without fear of, of ridicule um, by Ronnie Horn or somebody, <laughs> any, any right. number of wonderful uh, visitors and faculty that came came through and were just very hostile to the whole idea of it. Um, yeah, that it was, was a, very productive. That was a moment, yeah. wasn't it? I feel like yeah. that there was that um, kind of approach of breaking it down, you know what I mean, to its yeah. bare bones and then building it back up. Like, conceptually, okay, why? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, why painting? Why this? Why now? Well, you know, and just kind of like tearing it down so you have to build it back up. Because at that moment, just like you, like when I was in graduate school, I was just like, I really love doing this and I want to make, I'm excited to make the, and I hadn't figured any, it's, you know, it's not even that I hadn't figured anything out. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just playing at that point, you know, but that's a hard, that's yeah. a hard uh, line of defense whenever they're coming at you from different angles on like, okay, well, what the hell's going on here? And you're like, I don't know, I'm just playing. I'm just trying to figure things yeah. out and you know, that kind of didn't go over well. No, it, it was sort of insufficient um, in, that, uh, in that discourse to, um, to not know. And, and again, it was, I, I think it really, it was very shaping of how I approach painting. And I, I'm a, I love it. I'm a true believer in a certain way. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think that it's good. It's good to know why you're doing it. It's good to know what, painting is doing like what are the capacities of of the form um what are the limitations uh, uh you know there's certainly so many limitations um and what can you really do with it um and and also sort of how does it fit um in a broader history yeah you know i, I there's something about you know i think a lot about like a painter like John Curran or, or somebody who, when those paintings, when I first saw them, it was, everyone was so taken with the, um, the sense of freedom and irresponsibility <laughs> that he, he was uh, demonstrating in the face of what had been a sort of an art world um, where um, things happened very differently. And, and, um, 
after the fact, I keep thinking like, my God, he's so reactionary. He's so that was just such a step backwards for everything. You know, it was it was not liberating. It was just like a, a, a total tragedy for, for everything. I don't know. He's a good painter, but I don't. But um, but to be in the moment and to be young and to be thinking about sort of making paintings. Um, it's just it's just interesting how sort of like the meaning of things can change so swiftly, and and then over time you you really do have to reassess. You know? um, so yeah, and I think there was a there was an interesting um, play between sort of restriction and um, prohibition and a conceptual top down approach to making art and this kind of transgressive permissive position yeah. of, of being a painter where you know, it's so it's so bad to, uh, i know it's so bad but i'm still going to do it was the kind of <laughs> feeling of a lot of art at that right time. right yeah well how do you feel as someone who teaches you know i feel like in that era it was really about this kind of like hardcore defending or kind of like you know i always felt like under defense when i'm explaining what i'm doing right. or I, you know, I don't, I don't get that vibe anymore, really. It's kind of, we're in a pluralistic, like, everything's cool. You know, I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, I grew up in a, um, a culture of, like, I played soccer, I still do. And when I was growing up, it was, like, the hard line. Like, work your butt off, run, 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 mm -hmm. work really hard, get yelled at if you slack, you know. And a meritocracy of, like, the harder you work, you know, the more time you get, stuff like that. I kind of have that blue collar ingrained in me. And I feel like nowadays it's it's much more laid back. You, it's the coach isn't yelling at the kids anymore. You know what I mean? Right. And, and yeah. everyone's sensitive to everyone's needs and emotions, and everything's cool. You know, like do you feel yeah. that confliction yeah. in a way between the way we came up and then how the attitude is now on like being rigorous and and pushing yourself? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's it's a big question. Um, I do think that, I mean, you're right that um, I, so many people cried in my graduate school experience. <laughs> so many people were, were made to cry, you know, in, in the studio after a visit and, and certain critics would sort of come through and, um, you know, and, and people would just be in tears in the hallway after they left because they'd been um, just totally, um, you know, taken down or, or demoralized or demol their arguments were demolished and, and that's... Um, not something to be really nostalgic for. Right, that's, right. It's really bad, you know. And, and often it was, um, it was so, um, it was caught up with toxic masculinity, and uh, it was, you know, the, the men were making the women cry, and, and um, it was just awful, and it was awful that it was permitted. Um, in terms of the pluralistic nature of art and different modes of art. You know, I've thought a lot about it, and I think the the only I think, and it's just, it's hard for me to say it that um, you can't. What do I say? It, it's the end of sort of like positioning within a cultural field. You, you know, when you think back to sort of um, in art theory, the, the moments when it seemed that only abstract painting could accomplish certain you know, critical agenda items yeah. or only neo-expressive figuration or only institutional critique work or only social practice. And these different sort of um, forms were seen as, um, you know, the ones which would most 
uh, sort of lead us in, in the direction we wanted to go, and the other ones were, were um, total shit. Um, I think that now the way you have to think of it, and I think this is totally a product of internet culture, is that um, it's sort of like all artistic possibilities can be, should be realized at the same time. Um, uh, there's no particular way of doing it that's going to necessarily lead you where you want to go in art. Um, even thinking about sort of groupings in terms of medium or in terms of style are, I don't think that's really where we're at now. And you really have to think about, I think it, we can think about art in, in much broader terms as just like artists or people that are independently um, working towards collective goals without necessarily organizing around each other. That if you look at all the art that's being made now, like the sum total of people working, and there's so many people working, um, and we see them because of the internet, um, it's much like we're, I don't know, individual processors in a, in a larger ensemble. And, um, and so instead of bringing like formal criteria to thinking about what kind of art you should make, you could bring ethical criteria or moral criteria or political criteria, but there's no, if, if sort of like the pluralistic mode of contemporary art for the past 20 years has taught us anything, um, every particular way of doing things has potentials and drawbacks. Yeah, totally. You know, I think if I'd look at sort of figuration, um, you know, figurative painting in the past five or 10 years, you know, which was um, in the sort of cultural um, wars and problematics of the 1980s would have been written off as totally reactionary, like totally um, um, inauthentic, um, sort of like insufficiently critical. And yet... Um, the power of that work to sort of articulate values in society um, and to sort of change the way um, we understand um, subject positions is, is amazing, you know? Yeah. So I don't, so I think like when I'm teaching, you know, and I think that most, most people that are teaching now, like are, are sort of, um, you look at what the student is wanting to do, you try to get them to do it in a thoughtful way um, or a, a better way, but without sort of steering them in one direction or another, because shit, you know, who knows? Like, there's no sort of smart money on any particular way of doing things. And I also think that sort of it's, you know, Jesus, it's the world is so bad right now, <laughs> so so dire. You know, there's so many, like, huge problems do we have to argue about, um, you know, sculpture versus painting right, now, yeah. whatever. Yeah, no, I think it's it's much healthier. It's It's kind of like... The thing I always have is that, you know, I just want people to work really hard, you know, because I, yeah. I feel like if no matter how you're working, if you really put that energy into it, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And not everyone gets a trophy for participating, but like, you know, like yeah. the harder, the more you invest in it and, um, you know, that's going to come out of it, I think. It's really, I, it's difficult yeah. too in this because I find myself these days kind of loving everything. Mm -hmm. Or having a hard time not like like I just tend try to see the value and and I'm interested in so many things even if it's in nowhere close to my aesthetic like I will right. appreciate artists who you know I mean I I just wouldn't want to hang it on my wall and I'm not really 
in inside it's not my aesthetic or i'm not into it but i i love the work you know i just love the idea of those people making the work and I, and we i feel like when i came up it was such a there was such a culture of not liking everything else and just having your lane right. you know and i think it's so much healthier yeah. now because everyone kind of you know can get into each other stuff and, and speaking of your you know as a young person making this choice or being drawn to making art as like a platform of like kind of something your parents can't relate to, which mm -hmm. I think is, um, a lot of times young people find out in music too. Cause this is like my music. Yeah, like for yeah, me, yeah. it was rap because my parents had no idea what that was. And I was like, okay, this right. is something I can get into that, you know, they're just not going to get, um, was music around too for you? Was that part of it? Um, in, in, in listening. In, yeah, yeah, in listening. Yeah, I mean, this. I think one of the reasons, one of the things I like about being a painter is that it leaves your ears free for yeah, yeah. Uh, being receptive. And, and it's uh, music is such a part of studio culture. And it certainly was um, in school. You know, we had, yeah. you know, cassettes, you know, cassettes <laughs> and mixtapes and stuff that people would bring in. And that was, uh, um, that sort of sonic space was so important. Yeah, I it's... And again, I mean, there's there's such an affinity. There's what I love about painting and music is that you can never quite map one onto the other yeah. in terms of what how they work. You know, um, I've been listening to um, a lot of jazz fusion like for the past three three months, and, and I, I and so I'm thinking about like you know what what is the sort of like what is the equivalent of like this um, uh, kind of drum production in a painting, <laughs> you yeah, know, you yeah. can't. Or what is the equivalent of like a, a, a sort of like a, a chord in in painting, and 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 you're you're constantly slipping through these different sort of metaphors for um, for understanding what you're doing, and it's it's usually very productive, you know. And and it ends in that cliche of painters saying like, well, it's like music. Yeah, <laughs> painting is like music. It's the same. Right. It's not the same, but you know, it's. But there's there's some sort of um, uh, a deep affinity there. Yeah, I, I was um, I played in bands with my fellow art students like um, throughout the course of school and, and after. That was a very important thing. I think that's another sort of um, generational thing. Um, the the it being obligatory to form a band right. while you're in art schools. Is it still? Like, is that still the unit of... I think there's uh, a lot more uh, bedroom producing going on these days. Yeah. Uh, bands yeah, for us yeah, were like a so. social activity. Like in high school, I was in a band right. with my friends. We got together and like, what else are you going to do? You know, it was like pick up some right. guitars yeah. and play some music. But I don't... Yeah. I mean, right. I'm sure there's bands happening, but I don't think it's as much... It's as bandy as it used to be. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's like there was a moment where, um, you know, it's, it's so much more effective and expedient to have your side project be like a an apartment gallery yeah. or something. Right, right. You know, why mess around with this whole other field? Just, yeah. you know, you know, just pure networking. And then the, the sort of networkness of being in a band was, was really important. Not that it was a professional tool, but it was, as you say, a, a social, uh, social ritual and, um, a way to sort of process thinking about art in a different medium. Did you play guitar? I played bass, which is the, I think the, the classic art student, instrument of um <laughs> of uh you know low commitment <laughs> and limited skill not that uh, great bassists are great but you could you can kind of 
hang in there in the band and, and not cause too much trouble. Yeah, I feel like bass is one of those instruments where it's it's easy to just, you know, hold the line. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. that makes That's it what I did. exceptionally difficult to be exceptional. True. Like, if you're a bass yeah. player and you stand out, that's saying something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold the line. That's exactly, yeah. I'm just, I'm just filling a certain space on the, <laughs> on the thing and not fucking up too bad. <laughs> right. So, it, is, uh, were you in undergrad, is that when you first started uh, writing, too? Because you do a lot of writing, right? Yeah, um, it wasn't. I mean, I, I, you know, I went to Yale, which is a very um, heavy academic situation. So, I was writing a lot. Uh, for my classes, um, it was after it was after I got out of graduate school, and, and as you said, sort of faced that um, steep drop off in conversations yeah. that comes from being a, a, an artist, a young artist out on your own in the world where I missed the conversation, I missed the discourse of um, grad school. I'm not a very good socializer, so writing became a way to kind of converse with people yeah. at a distance. I, I started writing reviews for the Brooklyn Rail because uh, a friend of mine, Megan Hoyer, was was an editor there. And I just started um, picking artists that, whose shows I was interested in and, and tried to sort of um, figure out what I thought about them. Um, I, I had no idea what I was doing. It was, it, it, it was really a kind of a anti-loneliness, um, uh, uh, project in a lot of ways. Were you able to, was that getting it in the Brooklyn rail, the sort of, you know, opening of the door to being able to, to contribute to other places or was it something that you were like working on? Cause like, you know, I, I think when I got out of school, ironically, the band that I was in in graduate school, led to a lot of socializing because I, I was yeah. kind of an introvert and had difficulty socializing. And, you know, I, I think if you can get your foot in a door somewhere that can really help kind of like open that up. Cause you were saying you weren't particularly out there moving and shaking yeah. all the time. Yeah, Is that yeah, the way yeah. that you were able to, to extend that out into different platforms? Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, it was, a. I, I mean, I think the, Artists should write. I think more artists should write. I think it should be more. I think it is a lot more common now. Yeah, um, it's seen it's seen as a kind of a part of the job description. Um, it was le- a little bit less so, you, you know, uh, however many years ago that was. Um, so there was a bit of a novelty. I think for editors, it was sort of interesting to have uh, artists you know, writing from the perspective of an artist about a show, and and it would complement. Um, some of the other perspectives um, and sort of real quote unquote critic critical perspectives. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot less weird now to see it. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was it was exciting to see your name in print. I mean, it was kind of a you know again. I, I was so sort of um, starstruck by New York yeah. at the time. I was like, I'm in the Brooklyn Rail. Right, great. right. And <laughs> Brooklyn Rail is a you know is a real thing, yeah. and people would read it. Um, and and so I felt like I could. Um, you know, put myself out there to use a phrase that I, I don't really like um, in in a way that suited my abilities. And so, has that always kind of been a parallel? Because and then you you know you yeah. started Paper Monument, right? Yeah, yeah. My friend Dushko, who you know Dushko Petrovich yeah. and I started Paper Monument, and it came out of writing for magazines for uh, a few years. 
in there that we thought um, naively that it would be easy and fun to start an art journal. <laughs> piece of cake, um, right? Yeah, piece of cake, just something <laughs> we could do on the side. Wouldn't take over our lives in any way. <laughs> um, but but um, but also to sort of have a, we thought of it, thought of it as a venue for um, kind of slower projects, yeah. like or, or thinkings that were off the magazine cycle. Just to write a review for um, the Brooklyn Rail or Time Out I, that I wrote for you. You know, it was very timely. Yeah. It was dictated by what was happening in the gallery season and we wanted to sort of have a platform for people to say like well I've just been I don't know I've just been thinking about such and such you know and it's not there's no show coming up it's just it's on my mind and like great do that you know like yeah. how long should it be and and so there's it it a bit more flexibility in the format um and we wanted to encourage other writer artists to write um uh and sort of bring that voice to to the discussion um yeah and that led to other writing writing things like longer writing projects and 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 whatnot it's from a time management perspective it's terrible (laughs) because i think painting really i don't know if it i don't know if it is the same for you I, i suspect it is just however much time you have that's half as much uh, time as you need to, as you feel you need to make the painting yeah, that you're totally. working on. Yeah. So um, writing is even, I think, worse than that, you know, in terms of just um, the um, the labor of it. Um, it's exhausting. So so I love doing it. With teaching, it often gets um, shuffled to the bottom of the pile right. of, you know, things, things to do. Yeah, because I think writing is... Um, not that I do too much of it, but writing's one of those things for me that I really need time, space, and quiet. Yeah. Because I'm bad at it. So, like, I really yeah, need to yeah, focus. Yeah. Whereas, like, painting, you know, I can be a dad and I can be, you know, right. coaching kids and so I can, I can do a lot of things and I can jump in there and I'm like, okay, I can do this. But I feel like writing, you really need to kind of give yourself that space for it. It's, it's not easy. No, it's not easy. And I think it's even easier, even, I think it's harder if you think of yourself as a writer. And I was always the, you know, my only saving grace was that I was kind of, don't think I'm a real writer. And so I'd get to a certain point and be like, this isn't great, but it's a good thing I'm not a writer. That <laughs> <laughs> is cool. very escape hatch. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The well, good thing is this isn't my main drag. Yeah, I... It, yeah. I I don't know. I, I think it's... Well, what's really cool about Paper Monument is, like, those, you know... I don't know if you call them books, the compendiums, you know, the, the, these... Yeah. Those things that you put out, those are so... Well, A, they're great, and B, I see them in so many people's offices or studios, and, you know, they've become a real integral part to a lot of people's sort of creative practice and, and just thinking about art, which is great. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's incredibly gratifying because we did not think that would happen as the cliche goes i mean we we, they were so um strange some of the projects you know know, and the the way we did it and so kind of haphazard and eccentric that it was um amazing that um they resonated and feel totally happy to 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 be a part of it to have been a part of it um yeah and, and 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 we we did um draw it with your eyes closed the um art assignment compendium and 
there was a wonderful moment or wonderful terrifying moment where um, it had been listed on some kind of uh, management training website as a <laughs> useful tool for sort of people in business and industry to you know, uh, uh, loosen up and get creative about how they approach uh, IT or something. <laughs> we're, we're thrilled and horrified at the same time. Right. You didn't expect it to land there, right? No, no, not at all. But um, it's just, and I think that writing goes out in the world and books go out in the world in such a different way than um, works of art. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just a kind of a different system for, for, um, for being out in the world than. Um, Art, which I don't know, maybe that's also sort of outmoded, but it, it seemed that the channels for exhibiting and distributing painting were were uh, much smaller than than for text. Yeah, which is yeah. As I say it, I realize that's completely not true anymore. You know, in terms of painting and paintings get out there in the world in in, in such different ways now. Well, how do you, how do you I'm speaking to that? How do you feel about? I don't know, how do you feel about it? I mean, it, what you're painting, like the the evolution of it, and how you where you are now, as opposed to when you got out of school, and you know, right. can you just touch on your paintings in general? I mean, I I yeah, I've always been really interested in them, and you know, I mentioned at the beginning, kind of like these sort of you know phrases or thoughts that pop into my head, but maybe I'm totally off. But can you just talk a little bit about them and? Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that um, I find myself kind of, I feel like I've always wanted to do basically the same thing in painting, um, which is to talk about everyday life in a certain way, you know, um, talk about um, things that are at hand, you know, that I'm, I'm, uh, I, that I can see that are around me, and but also through that to talk about, um, you know, the, the way the world is um, now and and the, the moment in history where where we are. Um, most of the paintings are, you know, they're pictures of objects. Most of them are are, are um, things, although there's portraits and abstract paintings in there um in the mix i think i'm a little better at it than i was when i was in school um um but i'm i'm sometimes astonished at the lack of conceptual progress that i've made over <laughs> over this length of time I still, you know, I, it's incredible. You, I just, you, one recycles ideas, one, one circles back, and, and um, um, something that 10 years ago I had started to do will, will suddenly reappear in the studio. Um, I'll have the same impulse to, to revisit that idea, and hopefully I do it like a little, a little better as a, um, I don't know, craftsperson. Um, uh, than, than I used to. I think there. I think color is is a very important part of it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about um, how you know we were taught, how I was taught to think about color in painting and, and how it worked and what it meant, and um, what it what the expressive potentials of color are, 
Um, that's that's been a very consistent thing. Uh, you know, and it's funny. I I I, um, I teach uh, at RISD. My what I do is I help the graduate students write their um, written thesis mm-hmm. for for the MFA, which is a very long artist statement. Um, and I'm I'm so bad at myself sort of articulating the the um, the goals and intentions of the painting that um, if they listen to this they will they will feel a lot better about themselves. <laughs> um, well, if you, and when you said well, I don't know conceptually how my work you know the jump from out of school and now if your work is kind of concerning what's around you your environment sort of reflecting the world. In your mm-hmm. world, in your interpretation of it, I mean, isn't that kind of something that's uh, kind of like in a microscopic flux, but it's always changing, but it never looks like yeah. it dramatically changes? Like, I would imagine, are you a fan of ukiyo-e? Yes. Because yes, I feel like that is really what that stuff is about. It's about whimsy, and it's about mm-hmm. the moment, you know, and... and beauty and all that but it's really a, a, a mirror to their world you know to the experience yeah and and if you look at you know hokusai from a very early one to you know late in his life it's you know it's not a huge jump really right but i think it was yeah. a, an intense investigation of surroundings and in mm-hmm. reflecting the world around in in a way that it's almost like on kawada in a way it's it's more the the duration and the investigation than it is of like these bursts of realizations and change in a way, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, and I think that, I think I sort of grew up on, you know, one model of being a painter was to be, you know, consistent to the point of monomania, like on Kawara perhaps, or, or sort of, um, uh, Roman Apolko was was the one that I always talked about, who just did counting paintings mm-hmm. um, for his entire life, or Peter Dreher, who just passed away, who um, had a project called Day by Day is a Good Day, and it was a, a glass of water painting every day you yeah. know, that, that he made, um, and that kind of serialism coming out of um, a conceptual art approach was was held up as a kind of rigorous the rigorous one or the correct one. That's that's so out of fashion in a way. You, you know, the contemporary painter um, floats around a bit from right. from idea to idea. But um, yeah, you you um, I do think that painting has always been about, or my painting has always been about, like very little differences, which hopefully makes some, you know, big difference. You know, and. And um, without really wanting to be quite so obsessively focused as those as those artists, yeah. like I, I um, in fact, I do sort of, you know, I think that if there is a um, central point to the work, it's still life. You know, you know, it's still life. It's the sort of the the common object. Um, but I sometimes will deliberately, you know, make myself do something really oppositional to that. I'm making some abstract paintings um, this year just to, to not um, have it be so consistent, you, you know, because that, those sort of differences um, introduce kind of you know, rupture into 
into the body of work in, 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 in a way that I find, you know, really um, challenging. And, and there's always some, some reason at the end of the day when, for me to make these, you know, weird detours, yeah. you know, even if I don't understand what it is um, at the time. Yeah, but the uh, the data, like the the locales and the detail and the what you're looking at is very specific, mm-hmm. and it can be very abstract. But it's it's very it seems very purposeful in its uh, focus, you know, and it's non conventional yeah. focus. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Tanazaki's In Praise of Shadows. I don't know if you've ever read that, but. No, I never. You know have. the idea of kind of seeing the beauty of of what's not normally noticed, and looking right. at the sort of seeing the unseen or what our eye just kind of passes over. You know, like uh, like Warhol's shadows are one of my favorite you know bodies of work because it's kind of yeah, mine too. What you don't see, you know, it's 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 looking at yeah. the the void in a way. And I think in yeah, looking at your yeah. work, there's a lot of moments of that. It's like. Hey, notice this thing that you normally might not notice, you know, and when you freeze that moment, you see something uh, different and it, it changes your, uh, it recalibrates your way of looking, I think. But it requires the patience in the viewer, which a lot of times isn't there. Yeah, yeah, I've accepted that. That's totally fine. I, I mean, there, my daughter um, sometimes will um, want to, paint in the studio with me and 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 i'll get out you know bright acrylic paints and then we'll sort of have fun and she'll say no no i want to paint the boring ones that's <laughs> so what she calls calls my paintings it's like you know the real she wants to really paint you know the, the boring ones that i do and and i i you know i that's a boredom is a real um is is a is is definitely the name of the game for me in a certain way and sort of retrieving a painting from being terminally boring. Um, in terms of the everyday, like I, the, the way I see it as timely is that, um, well, like the construction of the category of the everyday, like in aesthetics was, was very much a sort of a, a post-World War II European thought formation um, that corresponded to a period of time that was unusually predictable yeah. for a certain part, a certain sort of like narrow section of the world where, you know, the boredom was a problem, you know, and thinking about sort of um, the, uh, Benjamin Buchlow's writing on conceptual art yeah. and administration, just that this specter of a world that was so buttoned down that um, tedium was... <laughs> like um, this stultifying force that you had to resist or, or evoke, you know, ironically in, in works of art. Um, the world is so much less boring now, yeah. you know, and so much less predictable, you, you know, that, that the kind of notion of, the notion of like every day is, is I think really stretched in a way. Yeah. Um, we're, we're kind of, our predictive models are not working. You know, we are off the kind of, <laughs> our forecasting is, it was, has been really off for, for some time, you know, in terms of what's going on. And, and when you think about sort of um, uh, the climate crisis, like, w- you know, what does it mean to think about sort of everyday life when, you know, the, the world's literally on fire for a lot of the time. And those kind of like those rhythms, uh, you know, those, those ideas of just kind of like rep- repetition and, and sort of downtime are really like in scarce supply now, yeah. you know, and that's something that I, I, I want to kind of explore in the work. I've been doing a lot of work lately. They've been just, uh, you know, I kind of 
really direct paintings of just those like plastic takeout tray yeah, tops yeah. or something. These containers, because it's a a it's a you know it's a really hard object to paint. You know from life, the it's there this translucent piece of molded plastic, but also. Um, the temporality of that object is so interesting. Right. You know, it's it's disposable, and yet it's um, it will outlive us <laughs> as a species. You know, like the, this dumb little thing that I got my sushi rolls in, it will be around. You know, long after humans are gone. Yeah. You know, because it won't decompose, and and also the sort of the time of looking at it long enough to paint it is another kind of duration. That. Um, and so like, it's really, there's a kind of a time aspect that I've been thinking about um, in terms of the everyday of, of you know, and try, trying to sort of fold in the, you know, the, the everydayness of being a painter, you know, going to the studio and looking at something and trying to um, make it, you know, mean something yeah. to somebody else. Yeah, the, uh, my mind went to that aforementioned Orozco show of the four yogurt plastic yogurt exactly. caps yeah. on a wall that yeah. blew my mind that that could even be you know a show and work at that time like wow that's what he did and then you know seeing yeah. like a tony conrad piece where he played you know for the cmj music fest for like a, a one note for an hour you know like, right. like those yeah. moments yeah. I, I think are so compelling and weird and interesting and beautiful and um it's it requires so much of the viewer or the participant to, to bring something to that. And I think it's really difficult stuff to do, but I find it really interesting, you know? Yeah. I think it's rewarding when, and maybe that's something about, I mean, you, you mentioned sort of hard work as being a, a one possible value that we could say is, um, it necessary for, for being an artist, even though you could express that hard work in so many different ways. Yeah. But, um, but maybe there's something else about um, um, the kinds of demands that you you ask, the kinds of things you ask for yeah. from the viewer that could could be sort of a value that we could um, kind of agree is, is important to art in some way, you know, or worth kind of fighting for. Yeah, totally. But but it could take so many different forms. Now yeah. Tom Friedman staring at the piece of paper for was it a thousand hours or something? Yeah, exactly. That piece. Love that know? one. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, and which brings me to the music thing. I mean, he was uh, yeah. one of the teachers at Skowhegan when I was there, and we would trade electronic music. And oh, uh, yeah. and having him in the studio was great because, um, and talking about the work, I mean, he was just on another planet, you know what I mean? Like his, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't understand. Yeah. It was just amazing, you know, such a great mind, you know, who thought about things so differently. And, um, yeah, I love that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's um there is a kind of a cult of tedium in art. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Is is also something that that it feels very generationally specific. Right. You know, and I, I taught a seminar a couple of years ago where I thought um wrongly that that's sort of the best kind of art to show to college students in a seminar room in Vermont wasn't painting in reproduction but it'd be time-based yeah. work it'd be video work because it would suffer maybe less by being shown on a you know a sharp cheap sharp flat screen you know through a projector you know compared to sort of showing paintings which i do think suffer yeah. you know in that <laughs> context and the sort of the um the excruciating sense of boredom that the students felt when confronted with you know the 
the, um, you know, these very boring art videos. It's, I realized that um, it's just culture is so different. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hold right? up. <laughs> the, yeah. The taking up. it yeah, in. It, I was doing that where I was showing like Koyana Scotsi and like Weekend, mm-hmm. you know, the traffic scene in yeah. Weekend and like things like that that are just long and... And even like the way things go by officially advice, which holds up for a little bit, but then at a certain point it's like, all right, when does this, say? <laughs> you know, I know. Like I think yeah. time, yeah. like patience in viewing has changed. It has. Yeah. And I'm, I'm an impatient viewer, um, just like the rest of everybody. Yeah. Um, and I'm impatient with a lot of that work too. I, I think there, there is sometimes like a, a, you know, somebody will look at something and say, this really could have been shorter. <laughs> There's really no reason why this had to be quite so sort of Wagnerian or, or you know, Matthew Barney in, uh, in a way. But, but at the same time, you know, you, you, you do adjust to it. You know, you, you, you sort of accommodate to it and, and you are changed a little bit. Um, well, it's the idea, that's right? like a, It's also yeah, the idea yeah. of it, more so than the experience, yeah. which is also compelling. Like the Tony Codrad piece, like playing or you know john cage's silence like that's Mm -hmm. really interesting idea it may not be the funnest thing to sit through you know like i don't know many people who saw that christian marclay piece with the you know time where the clock Mm -hmm. is you know but the idea of it is amazing and you know it exists but you're not watching the whole no one's spending like 24 straight hours watching that thing yeah yeah i the only person i know there's a poet named andy fitch that i know who who talks about just he is the only person I know that would go to the Warhol film retrospective and watch Empire. Empire. <laughs> just, just sit there, start, start to finish, and be fully engaged and entertained as a sort of a perceptual sensory yeah. experience. And but yeah, for most of us, we're not on that sort of level um, with it. But uh, you know, but painting also is so strange because you know, like a bad painting takes five seconds yeah. to sit through you know it's not like a bad play or even a bad novel you can you can sort of the instantaneous aspect is is so present or co-present with the sort of durational aspect in a really interesting way you know um it's sort of i think it's humane to to make a um a boring painting in a way that's <laughs> very kind you know, to the viewers yeah. Right. That's they why just, that's why video is so hard for people because they're yeah. in a, a in a, an environment where they're so used to being able to have that immediate like okay, I'm not buying it, I'm on to the next one, but in video art you you you're committing to a certain amount of time to to first of all, you had to crawl through that really dark curtain space that exactly. they put that thing in, bump into people, and your eyes had to adjust and then you got to sit there for, you know, half an hour and watch whatever it is. Right, and there's the social aspect of leaving in the middle of yeah. it. You have to be willing to sacrifice that credibility if you if you <laughs> right. walk out on right. such and such a thing. Well, fortunately, we're not writers, so the gallerists won't worry about us writing a piece. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> if we were writers or critics, yeah. that would be a big issue. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so are you painting a lot during this quarantine, or are you having a hard time? Are you, are you, you know, being I'm, productive, or...? Yeah, I yeah yeah I, I sort of I don't know <laughs> yeah I I think that and then I look at what I've done and it's it's very little um, I'm I would say that I'm a homeschool teacher first yeah for um, for the next couple of weeks and then I think I'll be a, a camp counselor after that um, I I think it's been productive I 
was it's a straight I was going to have a show last month in Mexico City that um is obviously not happening um there are a lot of paintings that I started in a studio in New York right now that I haven't been back to since um since the lockdown and and I sort of began again up here in, in a very um in and again sort of like a, a smaller way like smaller works that I could uh, could could do in this tiny room that yeah. I have to use um but it's it's been very um it's been very clarifying yeah I, I would say um and I think a lot of it, I think there'll be a lot of um great art that comes out of this year um, I think it will yeah. be an amazing year for art I'm not saying that my art will be a part of it but um but just because um, um, you're not rushing things to get them out the door for this or that yeah you know? and I think what we um, mentioned before a lot of right. people are gonna make some some changes that they normally wouldn't have I've, I've you know I've yeah. just been talking to a lot of people since this who are saying like yeah, you know, I didn't. I never had the time to slow down and think about this this yeah. way or work in these materials that I normally don't work in. So, you yeah. know, a lot of people yeah, reverting yeah. to dr- a lot more drawing or you know a lot more you know uh, things smaller things that they can like move through ideas. I know I've that's happened to me in this time frame. So, yeah, it's it's um it's we're still. Yeah, and just to experience it in real time, and 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 to think of those things. I think also politically, that's um, I think the success and the force of the protests has has to do with um, I think more people maybe being in a receptive state. Yeah, you know, because of that, um, and which is another good thing that art can do. It can <laughs> help you be in that receptive state. I think um, I I don't know um, I. There's a tendency, though, you know, it's interesting, I was saying to a student um, who had had been in, during the school, the in-person school, making very, um, you know, pretty confrontational work and pretty aggressive work, and and after the the lockdown had had been making much more sort of bucolic, calming art, And, and I said, you know, like, it, it's your duty to dig deep and make something really effed up <laughs> during, this, <laughs> during this difficult time. Right. Don't, you know, don't make a still life. And, and uh, <laughs> like you have to, you know, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a way that um, moments of crisis or, you know, the aftermath of crisis does kind of sometimes produce this kind of like more conservative art. Yeah. You, know, you think about the, the return to order in um, European painting, mm-hmm. you know, um, between the wars. Um, so I don't know what 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 things will look like. Um, I think the kind of it's very interesting to sort of think about what the different kinds of things we want art to do in these moments. And I think there's far from um, it being irrelevant. I think people want it to to be doing these very particular things, you know, yeah. for for our experiences. Um, whether that's sort of um, lightening the mood or sort of embodying um embodying a value or embodying a slogan or or sort of like um creating a linkage between an aesthetic experience and a sort of information experience of the world um but where that fits into sort of like i think um people's 
practices is is um, I'm not sure. It'll, it'll be very interesting to see. You know, and hopefully we'll, we'll, there will be. I, I would like to see art again in person yeah, <laughs> in the future. Too. You know, um, I, I hope that we will have a chance to do that uh, at some point. Ah, uh, it's uh, coming. Once they yeah. started uh, bringing sports back, it's only a matter of time. Oh yeah, <laughs> the galleries will get it's back. Lot, it's a lot easier to social distance in a uh, art gallery than Yankee Stadium. Exactly, because art is not really that popular. There you so. go. <laughs> and you know, I was thinking when you were talking about that, the, the different ways people want to see creativity, you know, in the light of this, it can be boiled down to um, like a couple of weeks or a few weeks ago, seeing on my Netflix, the two things that were advertised was um, that Pandemic, it was like a series called Pandemic, uh-huh. which, okay, some people are going to want to watch, like, you know, Armageddon right. right now. And the other one was like Tiger King or something. So Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know, the, 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 the polar dynamic that you can get. Exactly. Some exactly. people want to just dive in, and some people want to, like, stop and smell the roses and, like, appreciate the, the blades of grass and, you know, in Central Park <laughs> or something, you know? I know, I know. That's life, um, right? That is life. You, you need you need both. <laughs> you need pandemic and Tiger King <laughs> at the same time. Exactly. You yeah, need Netflix. It's dialectical. <laughs> yeah. um, so so I guess as far as things coming up, everything's on hold, right? You know, or do you have yeah. like definite things that are going to be coming down the pike? I don't know. I think everything is on hold. Um, I'm trying to. Um, I I'm not. I, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous about financial realities as much as everyone else, but I'm also um, enjoying just painting um, yeah. and 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 um, without the sense of a deadline okay. at the moment. That's my Pollyanna uh, yeah. <laughs> mom- moment. It's like, it's great. See, isn't, isn't this better? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So much better. I don't have a show. It's wonderful. Um, a diehard optimist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's me. Um, yeah. So I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, I have a lot of projects that are very satisfying, um, but right now they're personal projects. Yeah. Um, and, and and we'll see. Well, um, it was really great to talk. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Likewise.